This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And I am Bill Newman. And I am Buzz Eisenberg. And our first guest today is State Senator Joe Comerford, the senator for the Hampshire-Franklin-Worcester district. One town in Worcester, Senator? Five. Five, Five now? Five in Worcester. Oh. Because of redistricting. Right. I'm... I almost circle the Quabbin Reservoir now. Well, congratulations. Write this date down when we ignore central Massachusetts. Right? Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. We are in trouble. <laughs> radio, radio hosts ignore, ignore central Mass. Western Mass conde- condemned uh-huh. for parochialism. I, got, I see the headline now. Senator, thank you so much for being with us. Well, while we're on the question of or the issue of uh, parochialism and continuity and connectivity between Eastern and Western Massachusetts, I'd like to ask you about a point brought up in an editorial in Sunday's Republican under the headline, editorial headline, East-West Rail Advocates Must Stay Course. And it does implore our legislators, including you, but not by name, to stay the course to succeed in having East-West Rail or West-East Rail, as we talk about it here, implemented, and uh, raises the issue of whether the uh, claim of the importance of a northern tier rail system, rail line, could interfere or derail uh, the east-west, west-east rail from Springfield. I, I know this is confusing to a lot of people, including me much of the time. I'd love to know where west-east, east-west rail stands at this point. Can you help me out? Sure, sure. And good to be with you, Bill and Buzz. Uh, so um, with all love and respect to my friends at the Republican, this is a non-issue. Uh, And I really want to state this very, very, very clearly. So right now in Western Massachusetts, there are four rail projects in different stages. For example, the Valley Flyer, which is north-south, just went permanent. That's exciting. That's a down and back from Greenfield to New York in one day. We deserve that. Also, the Berkshire Flyer, piloted by Senator Adam Hines, former Senator Adam Hines, was wildly successful last summer, and we hope to bring it back. I'm sure people in the Berkshires, this is out of my purview. East-West or West-East, it doesn't matter how you say it, it's from Pittsfield to Boston via Springfield. That is actually really, pardon the metaphor, chugging along. Um, MassDOT is actively seeking grants for rail work along that rail line. And northern tier which is not a threat it's simply an addition it would help connect the northern part of western massachusetts right the northern berkshires franklin county north central worcester county would connect us into springfield i mean sorry into boston this is a wildly different project than east west west east this is passenger rail along the route 2 corridor it was in place until 1968 when we disinvested in it As a Commonwealth, people in our region remember commuting into work or going in for a game uh, or a theater uh, production. And this is a study that is underway currently. So it's far behind the other projects in the region. And they're looking at the efficacy of it. They're looking at the return on investment. They're thinking about the potential impact of it. It is not a threat. 
people in Orange or in Fitchburg or in North Adams will not benefit from measurably from East-West via Pittsfield. It doesn't mean that I don't support East-West via Pittsfield, right? I am supporting it. Last point that I'll make, and then I'm happy to take your questions. Right now, because of the delegation, and this is Western Mass delegation, there is a Western Mass Passenger Rail Commission meeting currently in Western Massachusetts. And the goal of it, the single goal, is to think about the right rail governance structure to manage passenger rail in Western Massachusetts. This came with $250 million in a bond earmark of the transportation bond for the kind of track work for East-West Rail that I'm talking about right now. And so this is a very fruitful time for us all. I actually would say back to the Republican, don't stop us and the momentum as a delegation by saying that there's only one rail project. It shortchanges Western Massachusetts immeasurably for us to be scarcity-based instead of really going for it at this moment with a lot of infrastructure money on the table and a willing administration. Yeah, let me say, since I brought this up, let me just quote one sentence from the editorial yesterday. It says, the Berkshires have not been forgotten in plans for East-West Rail, which would link Boston to Pittsfield rather than stopping in Springfield. Of all the choices for rail connecting the entire state, the best by far remains the East-West service through Springfield, which is, I think, what the ed- the editorial is really getting to. Getting to. So, anyway. Right. Well, it's, it's unfortunately misguided. And I really, I love, love the editorial folks at the Republican. I think they're whip smart. Um, but this is, this is something that we shouldn't be afraid of. The delegation is not stupid. Uh, MassDOT is not stupid. We know that East-West via Springfield is critical. Um, but we don't have to be afraid to want more for our people. And that's what we're talking about here. And again, Work is underway on East, West, West, East. So let That's me let me ask you about that, Senator. Senator, I'm I, I just think it's so exciting and it's so overdue and it's going to be so important not only for Western Massachusetts but for the entire state. We're going to have an economy in the 21st century that lives and is vibrant because of West, East, East, West Rail. I know, you know, this is Yogi Berra. Um, it's tough to make predictions, particularly about the future. But when do you think we'll really have it? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know. And that's part of what the Rail Governance Commission needs to grapple with. And, uh, you know, I'm on that Rail Commission. So is Natalie Blay, Lindsay Sabadosa, you know, a bunch of good folks are on it. Um, we have to set up a structure that, so, that we can, um, so that we can get this done. Let's just be real, though, everybody. The east-west from Springfield, Pittsfield-Springfield, is a ton of work. There are land takings. There's new tracks that have to go down. This is not nothing here. It is, however, underway. So this is not happening tomorrow. Yes, do we need a calendar? Do we need a timeline? Do we need some estimates for when the first trains are going to run? Absolutely. And again, I'm hoping through the Healy Driscoll administration, we're going to get a little bit more cooperation, a little bit more transparency, and we'll be able to really work as colleagues on this rather than as sort of a little bit tense, um, more tense, more cloaked work um, on the part of the administration. Although I do think that the MassDOT folks are extraordinary here. I just think that the Baker administration was less than forthcoming in terms of partnership. 
but the MassDOT folks doing the work are incredible. Senator Comerford, let me turn you over to Buzz Eisenberg for one minute here. Hi, Joe, and thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I and everyone I know is excited about about rail service to Boston on the Route 2 corridor as well as the one that we're talking about that goes through Springfield. But what people are concerned about is going to be the cost of ridership. That is, is it going to be so prohibitively expensive that it might not be used as much as we all want to see it used? Is there any, what's being done to try to dampen yeah, down this, the fees? This is real, Buzz. Um, so this is, and again, I think it's important for us to be very honest with each other here. This is not commuter rail. This is intercity passenger rail um, that's, that we're talking about here um, from, uh, from Pittsfield into Boston. And that means it's run likely by Amtrak. And these fees are higher. And we see this with the Valley Flyer as well. Can we work over time with a willing administration to think about other ways? Can we run our own rail in and not have to um, have to take Amtrak's prices? These are all the questions that this passenger rail commission is going to have to ask and answer um, here. There is something about Amtrak having privilege, right? Freight runs along the east-west corridors, both through Springfield and through Greenfield, um, and freight is, you know, it's tricky to manage passenger and freight on the same line. Of course, it happens all over the place, but Amtrak gets some privilege in those um, relationships. So there's a lot to figure out here. Um, and I think cost is a re- cost, frequency, um, schedule. These are real questions, again, that have to be asked and answered, like they were for the Valley Flyer, and I think, you know, schedule-wise, frequency-wise, you know, that's working a little bit better than it was in the initial stages. Cost-wise, it's still pretty expensive to go to New York City um, from Northampton or Holyoke or Greenfield. And so that's, you know, that's a piece of work for us. Um, so these are, these are small steps. This is an incremental project process. Uh, and I think we, um, we just have to tell the truth about it. We are speaking with State Senator Joe Comerford. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to ask the senator about the End of Life Options Act, also known as Compassionate Choices. And listen to this. The senator is really psyched about rules. We'll get to that, too, I hope, right after these messages. The only thing that's real The needle tears a hole This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. You love your car. We all do. It's part of our DNA. If your vehicle gets into an accident, the people to turn to are the collision experts at Fort Hill Collision Services in Amherst. Fort Hill lets you leave your concerns at the door. They'll fix your vehicle to better than factory standards and deal with your insurance company from start to finish. Fort Hill is locally owned and operated. They're part of the community, and they guarantee the work they do every time. Trust Fort Hill Collision Services, Route 9, Amherst, and online at forthillcs.com. Why do the same old thing to celebrate Valentine's Day? Kelsey Flynn here inviting you to join me, Tara Brewster, and the one and only Monty Belmonte, East Hampton Mayor Nicole LaChapelle, DA Dave Sullivan and Zara Bodie from the Sweetback Sisters to the Big Love Little Performances Benefit for CHD's Big Brothers Big Sisters of Hampshire County. 
This lip sync karaoke contest has everything to woo your Valentine or make it a Galentine's Day. Buy tickets or enter to perform at runreg.com forward slash big love little performances. It's all happening on Thursday, February 9th at the Boylston Rooms in East Hampton. Be there and share the love for Big Brothers Big Sisters of Hampshire County. Check it out on Facebook. This week's Shop Tuesday is Slancha. This Tuesday at 9 a.m., Slancha releases gift certificates for their restaurant in Holyoke. High up on Jarvis Avenue with a view of Holyoke and beyond, good food and drink, lunch and dinner daily, plus a private upstairs party room with a bar. They say it on the old sod and they say it in Holyoke. Slancha, available this Shop Tuesday at 9 a.m. on the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. And we continue our conversation with State Senator Joe Comerford. We are going to ask the senator in just a moment about the End of Life Options Act, also known as Compassionate Choices. But during the break, we could continue our conversation about East-West Rail. Another point you wanted to make or emphasize on that, Senator? No, I just I think we shouldn't lean into a problem that doesn't exist. This is there is no problem here. The delegation is on board. We're strategic. We're united. We're going to get east-west done via Springfield. But let's not settle. Let's keep north-south going robustly. Let's keep the Berkshire Flyer, and let's explore the northern tier for our friends in Franklin County and northern Berkshires and north-central Worcester. Let us not be afraid to ask and demand what we need and deserve in western Massachusetts. That's it. That's it for me. You're here. Really. Thank you for that. Let me ask you about the End of Life Options Act, otherwise known as Compassionate Choices. This is a piece of legislation you have advocated for since you've been in the state Senate. I'd like to know where it stands and what you see as its both its most important provisions and whether it will pass this time. Uh, thanks for this good question. This is a priority bill for me. Thanks to advocacy, actually, in 2018, I uh, tuned in to this issue. Many constituents in our district are supporters. I hear about this a lot. I heard about it a lot during the campaign, and I made a promise. Um, so my first session, this is 1920, I went in as chair of public health, Senate chair of public health. We got the bill. And so I knew people cared about it. I knew it was a big bill. And so I focused on it in the summer of 19. Um, and we worked on the bill. We had a hearing um, I hired a fellow, a public health fellow from Harvard, just to look at this bill alone. Senator, um, let me interrupt for a sec. For those of our listeners who say, okay, I, I understand that there is this end-of-life or this end-of-life options act, compassionate choices. What's in it? Sure. Um, it basically allows an adult with a terminal diagnosis of six months or fewer um, who is mentally capable, physically capable, to make a choice to end their life, make a choice with a doctor to end their life. And so this is, it's, a, it's also called physician-assisted suicide, although I don't love that term, because this is an end-of-life choice. Um, there are many people for this bill. Some people are against it, and I listen especially to those. And um, 
some of the folks want more or have wanted more guardrails so that folks don't feel coerced, we put them in. Some of the folks have wanted greater tests around mental health wellness, we put those in. Some of the folks have wanted people who are facing this choice or considering this choice, right? Because this is all about an individual's choice. Um, Some people wanted to make sure that everyone considering this choice also had uh, information around palliative care, hospice. We put that in. So the bill has changed from the 1920 session. In 2021, I filed it. I was Senator uh, Pro Tem. The, the, 20, the 2020 session. It's 1920, and then in 2021. So 1920, I heard it as a Senate chair. 21-22, I was given the bill by Senate Pro Tem Will Brownsberger because he knew I cared about the bill, and he, as Senate Pro Tem, doesn't file as many bills anymore. Uh, I again was public health chair. I again passed it out. The bill has passed out under my watch for the first time in two set. These two sessions were the first time that bill moved favorably out of public health. Um, so I was chair. I got it out twice. So does that mean there's going to be a vote? Does, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but, I, but I, I, I'm a little confused. D- does that mean that you've passed it out, that, that there will be a vote on the Senate no, floor? Bill. No. no, no, Bill, no. So the bill comes out of committee favorably. And it has to be taken up in the House and the Senate. Last session, we got pretty close, um, but we didn't get it over onto the floor of the House or the Senate. This session is 23-24. I once again filed it with Rep. Jim O'Day. Um, and in the Senate, I have Senator Sue Moran and Senator Brownsberger as partners in this. Um, and it's going to have another hearing between before public health. I don't know what committee chairpersonship I'll have. If I'm the chair again, um, I will work to pass this bill. I think it's a strong bill. If I'm not, I'll work with the chair to hopefully pass it. Um, and then we're going to have to push again like hell for this to bill, bill to come before the House and the Senate. Joe, why is that? Who's opposed to it and what's their basis? Well, it's a big bill. Right? People were talking about people choosing to end their lives. Um, there have been numbers of uh, communities who have been opposed over time, although some of the opposition with the changes to the bill have dwindled. Um, certainly the Catholic Church hasn't changed its opposition. It's pretty clear, pretty vocal, pretty present. Um, and some, not all anymore, some disability rights advocates um, who have made important points about how hard it is to live as a person living with disabilities, um, you know, and not wanting really to focus on dying. Um, You know, they have, again, helped make the bill stronger, I believe, and having more important guardrails. So I'm not saying that any one of these communities is a monolith. Um, And I do think that the, the opposition from the disability rights community has ebbed um, over time. And is that because there can be protections for persons with disabilities so that they can make these Correct. choices on the same bases as everyone else? Correct. Yeah, we put in the, the, um, the protections I talked about earlier. Um, we also put in a protection that I thought was perhaps the most poignant. Um, one, of the, one of the stipulations in the initial bill that I heard before I took it over was that of the witnesses, uh, 
not one one of of the two witnesses one of the witnesses could not financially benefit from the person's estate the person considering this option that made sense to me but the folks in the largely in the disability rights community said that's fine but what we want is a stipulation saying not one of the witnesses could be financially liable for the care of the person choosing um, making this choice whether to end their life on their own terms or not. That was very moving. We put that in. So the um, witnesses you're talking about are the witnesses to the signing by the patient of uh, making the written request in a form that's been approved um, in order to be able to qualify for this, uh, these prescriptions. Correct. And is there anything in the bill, Senator, about uh, who can administer the, 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 the medication? The patient themselves administers it. The doctor prescribes it. The patient administers it. So the person and the person has to be found to be of sound mind, um, making this on their own volition, making this choice on their own volition. Um, and then they have to be actually physically capable to take the medication on their own. My understanding is that in the states that have this kind of end-of-life options legislation, compassionate choice laws, that many of the patients who uh, invoke it actually don't ultimately use it. Um, is, that, is that your understanding as well? Yeah, it's different state to state. Um, some people just have said to us in testimony, and actually here in our district, I just want to know that if it's too painful or too scary, or if I, you know, if I feel like this is not the way I want to live, I just want to know. Um, that I would have this option. It's a comfort, um, which I do think that we should afford to people facing a terminal diagnosis of six months or fewer. Buzz, I know we were talking about this before we went on the air. You have some thoughts. Well, I have a lot of thoughts. Number one, I'm totally, I've read the bill, Senator, and and love the provisions of the bill, except this one that gives me pause, which is the requirement that it be a Massachusetts resident. In other words, if somebody comes from another state to a state which provides for end-of-life options, as you described them, um, it, that person couldn't be served by a Massachusetts physician here in Massachusetts. And I know that Oregon uh, Act, which ours is modeled on, that, that was found to be unconstitutional. Um, and so they no longer enforce in Oregon the Oregon residency requirement. Are you uh, familiar with that issue? Yeah, I am. I am. Um, there's some research that has been done to think that, in fact, it would hold up as constitutional here. You know, bills are ideas and they're also compromises. And this is one of the areas that, you know, we've gone back and forth on um, in terms of how we make this work in Massachusetts. So, you know, again, another committee will hear this and perhaps they'll look at this issue as they consider whether or not to report this out favorably. I know that this bill is, is really important to you. Um, can you tell us procedurally what happens next? And for those who want to be heard on it, or those of your constituents in particular who want to be sure. heard on it, what do we do? So the bill was filed by January 20th, which was the timely filing bill deadline. It now has a docket number. That docket number will change to a final bill number once it is moved to committee. I'm guessing, because it's gone there every time, it's going to the Joint Committee on Public Health. That committee will have a hearing on the bill. 
part of my job and part of everyone else's job who's listening who wants to spill to get a, t- a quick hearing will be to ask the chairs respectfully to prioritize hearing this bill. Um, it'll likely get heard by itself, not in a bunch of other bills, because it's, it's such a big bill and we'll have such a lot of testimony. Uh, but again, that'll be up to the chairs to decide. Then the committee itself will decide whether or not it wants to report out the bill. That's another place people can be active. You'll want a favorable report. If you don't, if you have ideas for like Buzz's idea about the constitutionality, you could talk to the committee about that question. Um, through testimony, you can write or you can speak testimony. Every single bill has a public hearing. Every single person in the Commonwealth is welcome to testify. Um, and you can find out about that bill by going on to the Massachusetts malegislature.gov, that website, um, and you'll find out when the hearing is. Um, you can also, of course, be in touch with me, and I'll tell you. Um, and then hopefully the committee reports it out. Hopefully it reports it out soon in this two-year session because it will take time to work with House and Senate leadership uh, to get this bill to the floor for a vote. Uh, I think we have a strong team in the Senate. Um, and, I'm, you know, and Repo Day is terrific in the House. In the Senate, though, we've been working our colleagues, working with our colleagues, um, really understanding where every senator is, uh, talking with them deeply about the bill, hearing from them uh, their questions and uh, potential concerns. Um, so I feel like we've done a ton of work to make this bill quite well understood in the Senate. So I am hopeful that if we can get it out of public health soon-ish, um, we can get this to the floor uh, of the Senate. I can't promise that because I'm not the Senate president, um, but I can say that I feel hopeful. Well, on that hopeful note, we will leave it. We have been speaking with State Senator Joe Comerford. Thank you for the in-depth discussion of those two very important issues. So much more I wanted to get to, but we will next month. Senator Comerford, thank you so much for being with us. It's been a privilege to join you both. Thank you so much. Thank you, Joe. Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Mountain Road on Route 141 was closed Saturday after a single car accident. According to East Hampton Police Department, a car crashed into a utility pole near the 300 block of the road and downed wires caused the road closure. East Hampton Police say the road was opened back up Sunday morning. Over the weekend, planes from Barnes Air National Guard Base in Westfield assisted in shooting down a surveillance balloon, supposedly from China. The balloon had passed over some sensitive military air bases as it swept across the country. And on Saturday, President Biden ordered two F-15 fighter jets from Westfield to shoot the balloon out of the sky, just off the coast of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. The Chinese government has insisted the balloon was civilian-owned and not related to any government surveillance. A collaboration of social service agencies from the greater Springfield area will be hosting a Know Your Rights workshop tonight. It's for renters curious about their rights to clean, safe, and secure living situations. The newly formed Tenants Union of Western Mass is partnering with Unlice de Familias, Neighbor to Neighbor, and Nuovo Camino to host the workshop. 
where lawyers from Community Legal Aid and Mass Fair Housing will offer advice and answer questions. The workshop will take place at 6 p.m. at the Unlaced de Familias headquarters at 299 Main Street in Holyoke. And Sunday morning, the Burdenston Fire Department responded to a reported vehicle fire that was threatening a structure at 915 Brattleboro Road in Burdenston. When units arrived on scene, they found two vehicles on fire within feet of the residents. Guilford Fire provided assistance with the tanker and crews were able to extinguish the fire, limiting damage to the building. For today, look for a mixture of sunshine and clouds. It'll be breezy and mild. Highs 44 to 48. Tonight, mostly clear. Overnight lows 18 to 24. And the outlook for Tuesday, sun in the morning. Clouds moving in during the afternoon. Highs in the lower 40s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rashivega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. Una colaboración entre Enlace de Familias, Neighbor to Neighbor, Nuevo Camino, la Unión de Inquilinos de Western Massachusetts y Nueva Esperanza están organizando un taller para la comunidad titulado Conozca Sus Derechos. Este es un esfuerzo conjunto para educar a los inquilinos sobre sus derechos como arrendatarios. El taller Conoce Tus Derechos se llevará a cabo el lunes 6 de febrero a las 6 de la tarde en Enlace de Familias, ubicado en el 299 de Main Street en Holyoke, Massachusetts. Se proporcionarán alimentos cuidado de niños y servicio de interpretación al español. Los inquilinos del área metropolitana de Springfield están invitados a escuchar directamente de Community Legal Aid, abogados de inquilinos y Mass Fair Housing sobre cuáles son sus derechos. En las últimas décadas, la vivienda se ha convertido en un negocio rentable, mientras que la vida de los inquilinos se ha vuelto cada vez más difícil y la vivienda más insegura. Este taller proporciona un espacio confidencial para inquilinos para compartir sus preocupaciones y hacer preguntas. En otras informaciones, los funcionarios de la ciudad de Holyoke están comunicando a los negocios, empresas y organizaciones con respecto a la renovación de licencias de venta y consumo de alcohol anuales y por temporada. El personal de licencias de Holyoke trabaja con los solicitantes y los departamentos de la ciudad para confirmar el cumplimiento tributario actualizado, programar inspecciones y recopilar toda la información relevante. Durante el proceso de renovación de 2022, dijo Vega, casi una docena de negocios estaban obligados a pagar impuestos atrasados a la ciudad antes de que se les pudiera emitir su licencia 2023. Hasta que se completen las inspecciones y el Departamento de Bomberos y el Departamento de Edificios planteen inquietudes y hayan sido atendidas, estos establecimientos no deben vender ni servir alcohol. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. And if it's Monday, it is Mayor's Monday on WHMP. And this Monday we have with us the mayor of Northampton, Gina Louise Shera. Thank you, Madam Mayor, for being with us. I really appreciate your being with us on your monthly segment. I'd like to ask you something that um, you might be a little tired of hearing about, but I have asked every other Northampton official and concerned citizen who's been with us for the last a week or 10 days, and that is the status of the pot shop, the limitation on retail uh, cannabis stores in Northampton. Uh, the buck, or at least the bill, stops with you, so I thought I would ask you to update us on where it stands. Sure. Good morning, everybody. Um, I'm happy to uh, to tell you where the status is. So um, once something passes the council and is signed by their enrollment committee, it comes to my desk. Um, if approved by me, I sign it and it's enacted upon my signature. If disapproved, I can return it 
um, as a veto with a reason for the disapproval. Um, and then the council takes it up again, um, not more than 30 days um, from that point, and puts it back on the agenda and votes to see if it passes two thirds. Um, then the third thing is that I can um, either I can not sign it and also not return it to the council. And within 10 days, it is de facto enacted. So uh, 10 days have passed. I did not put my name to it, um, but it has uh, been enacted. That ordinance. It's. Uh a non-pocket veto veto. You didn't sign it, but you didn't Correct. you didn't veto it either. So it doesn't go back to the council. Exactly. Um, and you know the the main reason I didn't veto it, and first of all, I want to thank everyone. I've gotten lots of emails and some calls and people um, encouraging me to veto it, and I understand if they're disappointed that I didn't. Um, but Frankly, I just have too many other critical things that I'm working on that, to sort of spend more time on this. This has been a long conversation. You know, it started in the summer around um, the application for an HCA for a business in Florence, which I um, used the discretion that I had and um, didn't sign that HCA and denied it. Um, so despite that, sort of the council moved forward with this process and um, I have other things that I need to work on, and we've spent a lot of time on it. So, okay, two we'll quick, see what happens. two quick final things on this HCA host community agreement. That's the agreement between yeah. the retailer and the uh, and and the and the host community, Northampton, in this case. I, I, yeah. I here's my my final thought about this, and I'd appreciate your reaction. Uh, maybe the ordinance has very little effect, and. That is is my hope. My fear is that it creates the secondary market in uh, licenses. Uh, you know, whether to me this all this hoopla about eleven shops are fine, twelve would be really problematic. I, I don't get it. I mean, if it doesn't make a difference to me, so maybe uh, the ordinance really won't make much difference. And I'm wondering whether you agree with that or have hopes in that regard. Anyway, your reaction to what I said. Um, I, I do agree with you. I think we have to wait and see if there will be any impact. You know, as I said many times, my biggest concern is what the concern you just raised. One of my biggest concerns um, was that we are creating a secondary market that didn't exist before. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I do think in some ways this will solidify this market, which we've been seeing. Um, you know, we had that first closure of in the entire Commonwealth of a cannabis business here in Northampton in uh, December, and we are seeing a steady drop of revenues. So, um, it, you know, I, I'm not sure what this is going to do or if anything, but it'll remain to be seen. But um, certainly the secondary market component is is one of my largest uh, concerns, um, which uh, brings me to another topic, if you want to segue. Um, oh, I, 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 I think I hear something about all alcohol licenses coming up. Do I? I do. Okay. Nice segue. Would you like to have both, both, both microphones? You just do the interview and the interviewer, interviewee. No, that was terrific. Yes. Okay. Let's, let's go to this. Really, I think really important. You do have a home rule petition pending, I know. Tell, us, tell our listeners about that, please. Yes, thank you. So um, we're working with Representative Sabadosa to um, to try and realize this economic need for Northampton by petitioning the state to get seven additional all alcoholic beverage licenses for the city. Um, so for those who don't know, um, the state imposes sort of a quota system for alcohol um, 
all alcohol licenses. And um, they, so we have, we are above our quota for, for those licenses. Um, it, back in 2016, Mayor Narkowitz went through this process and was granted some additional special act licenses. Um, and actually, I think we've seen the positive impact on the secondary market that those licenses have had. So um, now that we have those licenses, we've seen some of them, so go back a little bit further. These are um, special in that they're non-transferable. So when a business closes who has one of these licenses, it comes back to the city and then um, the licensing commission will do, um, will have a lottery to redistribute that license, but it's not sold on the secondary market the way these other licenses have been. So um, there still is a secondary market, but it's, it's become less powerful, I'd say. Okay. So, so let's back up one second and all alcohol license. What is that? So meaning more than um, malt and wine, so hard liquor as well, any and, kind of liquor. And is that for a package store kind of operation, or are we talking about bars and restaurants? What, what does it mean in, in, practi these in practical just, terms? Yeah, these are not package stores. These are just um, uh, like retail or just uh, businesses, like um, uh, on-premise businesses. Okay. So... There's a limited number in Northampton. You're asking for seven more. The city has to get special permission from the legislature, which doles these out. That's what's called a home rule petition. Uh, mm -hmm. our, our representative files a bill at the legislature asking that the city have this prerogative. Uh, do you have some economic uh, uh, aspiration or studies that indicate what the seven new licenses would do and would they in fact be used? Tell us a little, dive a little deeper into that for us. Yeah, so we know that there is present need among um, restaurants that already exist. So one of these um, like non-transferable licenses recently came back to the city. Sylvester's had one when Sylvester's closed, it came back. And just last month, the license commission had a lottery for this. So there were four current restaurants that entered that lottery. And of course, only one won, meaning that there's three out there that we know really feel like this would be important for their business. Some of these are, so actually the, the one who won is Paul and Elizabeth, one of our longest running restaurants. And so, you know, lots of things have changed since the pandemic. Lots of things have changed, period, right? I, I trust that these restaurants um, understand their business, and if they feel like it's critical for them to now be able to have an all-alcohol license, that that's something that we should be able to assist them with having for them to be able to survive. So we know that there are three that didn't win the lottery. Um, there'd been a, a lottery a couple years ago where there were seven businesses that were competing. So we know that current businesses need these licenses, um, but critically, we also can't bring in new restaurants. You know, I, people tell me all the time, why don't we have new restaurants? Like, it would be so great if some of these empty storefronts would have some new life. We, you know, we don't like that we see other communities having a thriving restaurant scene and we feel like ours needs some more. Um, one of the key reasons that we struggle is that we can't offer a liquor license to a new restaurant. There's, we have people who regularly come to us and say that they would like to start a restaurant. We just had one who, um, someone who was really, really interested. And the main reason she didn't move forward with one of our larger empty spaces is because we couldn't guarantee her a license. Restaurants have a difficult time making money 
selling food. I know that sounds uh, inconsistent or, or illogical in some ways, but in fact, the margins on food, the profit of when all of the ingredients and the cost of them are factored in and the, uh, the personnel costs and the overhead and all that, it's hard to make money on, on, on food in restaurants. And restaurateurs have told me for many, many years that the profit, the real profit margins uh, are, are in liquor. Uh, and therefore, those licenses are, in fact, crucial to the health of many restaurants. I think that that's true. And particularly right now, you know, we, we all are experiencing rising costs in food. Um, and restaurants can only pass on so much of that cost before it becomes prohibitive for people to, to go and um, eat out. So this is a really critical economic development thing for the city of Northampton. And um, I, I hope that the council will support it. Do you expect any pushback in for the greater number of all alcohol licenses of the kind that you got, the pushback you got for with regard to the number of uh, uh, retail cannabis shops, or would you think that was singular to cannabis shops? Um, I, I, I hope not. You know, it'll sort of remain to be seen. Again, since we already have an established secondary market, um, there are businesses who, um, you know, feel like they have an asset. And so, you know, it's a little bit different because we already have the secondary market, but we actually have not heard any complaints or anyone um, who's expressed concern about this. And so, um, you know, I hope that the council um, will will support this and uh, it, that it's, you know, we could talk about whether it should be viewed differently than cannabis, but um, I, you know, I hope that this will move forward. Madam Mayor, this is Buzz Eisenberg, and uh, from Hi. my perspective, my perspective as a Hilltown guy, being mayor of Northampton, you spend a lot of time working on matters of people tinkering with the level of sobriety, pot, <laughs> alcohol, tough job you got. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure I really realized it was going to be part of a, a main part of the job, but it does feel that way sometimes. <laughs> We are indeed speaking with Mayor Gina Luishera on this Mayor's Monday. We're going to take a quick break and we come back. I want to ask the mayor about the uh, request for a study commission on reparations. And I want to know, ask her about her new administrative order creating a new Department of Climate Action. We'll be right back. I didn't come here and I ain't leaving, so don't sit around and cry. Just roll me up and smoke me when I die. You won't see no sad and teary you're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Looking for the perfect place to watch the game? Hi, I'm Caleb Hiliotis, head brewer of Amherst Brewing. Make the Hangar Pub and Grill your go-to spot to catch all the action this season. Our famous wings come with your choice of 26 flavors, and with 25 years of beer-making experience, there's an Amherst Brewing beer for every drinker. Now that's a winning combo. Join us for weekly trivia nights in Amherst, Westfield, Agawam, South Hadley, and Greenfield. Visit HangarPub.com for more of what we have cooking and brewing today. Push, push, come on, one more. Let's go, go, go. Is this your idea of personal training? If so, you've got it all wrong. Or perhaps we've got it all right at Fitness Together, where we meet you where you are to get you where you want to be. Fitness Together trainers help you reach your goal at any fitness level even despite ailments and physical limitations. So don't let a misconception keep you from having the energy to do what you love. Learn how you can get it together at Fitness Together Amherst or Northampton. 
If only there were an indoor, climate-controlled farmer's market every day of the year. Oh, but there is. At State Street Fruit Store, Deli Wines and Spirits, farmers are bringing in their best from the field, orchards, and greenhouses every day. The best of the crop from wherever the crop is best, starting with fiddleheads and asparagus, all the way through berry season, corn, and into the root veggies, and hothouse stuff to get you through a New England winter. Plus, you can grab a bottle of burgundy or bourbon. And since it's open every day of the year, it's like a farmer's market every day of the year. But no rain, no snow, no heat wave, and they open at 6.30 a.m. every day of the year. Those are farmer's hours. Since the market is inside the building, there's plenty of room to park in the lot. State Street Fruit Store Deli Wines and Spirits on the corner of State and Center in downtown Northampton. It's like an indoor farmer's market every day of the year. At PV Squared Solar, we live by our mission, energizing a brighter future for people and planet. This year, we are celebrating our 20th anniversary. 20 years of designing, building, and maintaining quality solar. 20 years of relationships founded on trust and clean energy. 20 years of powerful cooperation. Thank you for the partnerships along the way, and we look forward to serving this community for 20 years more. Happy birthday, PV Squared! Learn more at pvsquared.coop. Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And you'll be supporting the local news, Valley Talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. And add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP. Your message at whmp.com. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. And on this Mayor's Monday, we continue our conversation with Jean Louise Shera, the mayor of Northampton. Madam Mayor, uh, reparations has been a big issue before city council. I'm wondering if you have taken a public position. If you have, I'd like you to share it. And if you haven't, tell us what it is. So the, um, the sponsors of the resolution, so these are Councilors Gore, Perry, and Elkins, introduced um, a really beautifully written resolution last Thursday. Um, and um, there's, it's, I encourage everyone to read it. There's a lot of, of great content to it. Um, and basically, it ends with a call um, to acknowledge that the many, many of our essentially government structures throughout our country, our commonwealth, municipalities, um, all of their histories have been, um, a lot of that, our structure has been about exclusion and the control of assets and sort of an acknowledgement of that. Um, and then it also calls for a joint mayoral council commission with um, at least half representation being of black community members um, to, to work on um, a couple points, con uh, considering what should be implemented and um, what could or should be implemented and funded in terms of sort of the concept of reparations and um, examining ways to grow and nourish the black community here in Northampton. So um, I told the three sponsors that I'm really very happy to work with them on, um, on this commission. And uh, I know that we're working on, I've got a lot of holds on my calendar this week as we're working to set up a meeting with them. Um, so that we can report progress on the next steps for that commission um, at the next council meeting. And the next step, assuming that this passes the council, will come back for a second reading and a vote as to whether or not it will become a uh, 
uh, a actual fact, uh, a reality. Uh, the next step for your office would be to appoint members of the study commission. Is that right? Yeah, so it's a resolution. So it's, um, you know, it doesn't hold any weight of creating something, but I have said that I'm happy to work with the council and the sponsors in particular to create a commission. So the, um, so the city's council would pass a resolution saying we are in favor of this, here are the reasons, here is the importance of it, and so on. Um, and then in response, you would in fact create a commission through an administrative order. Do I understand that correctly? Um, so it would be a joint commission with them. And that's a good question. I have to go back and look. So the most recent one that I, I can recall is the Northampton Policing Review Commission, which I created with Mayor Narkowitz um, when I was council president. And I'm tr I'll have to go back and look and see if there was, um, whether we needed some sort of order to create that or not. But in any event, it's a joint city council executive branch uh, decision to create this commission and to do the yes. study and make a report. Okay, yes. we just have a few minutes left, but in the world of administrative orders, you made one recently, a new Department of Climate Action and Project Administration. What's that? Yes, CAPA. So first, shout out to the dedicated members of Northampton Climate Emergency Coalition who have been working with me for the greater part of a year um, to come to kind of get us to this point. These are remarkable advocates that have done a lot of research with us. Um, and they have been advocating for a position either directly in my office or a director level climate position. And um, we have moved in the direction of creating a department with a director um, and that will have two already existing city positions which we are moving into this department. Um, our longtime fabulous chief procurement officer, Joe Cook, who's been with the city for 34 years is retiring this month. Um, so that's a huge change for the city. For those who don't know, procurement, um, anything that's over $10,000 has to go through a bidding and procurement process. So that's a lot of projects in the city or items in the city. Um, so with that position and then the energy and sustainability officer, uh, which would have, had been a central services position, um, uh, that position, um, Chris Mason had been in that position for 15, 17 years, he has just moved on recently to a state position where he's kind of doing similar work for many communities. Um, so with those two vacancies, we're going to bring that position also under this department and then put a director above that um, who will do kind of the big picture strategic planning and thinking with me um, and in collaboration with other departments who, um, who intersect with this. So, you know, planning sustainability, central services, DPW schools, facilities. Um, and so those three positions, um, I think are gonna be critical because it is a way of sort of solidifying my directive, which has been that anything that we're doing, any projects that we're doing, I want viewed through a, a lens, a sustainability lens, and, um, and I want us to think about how it furthers our decarbonization goals and is part of our sustainable Northampton plan. So this department will now kind of be that, that central place where all this work gets done. Does CAPA climate action being the, the first two words, the first two letters of the acronym, does this imply more action by the city uh, in terms of affirmatively trying to address climate change? Uh, I guess that really is my question. 
I mean, yes. Yeah. So one thing that I think is important is, you know, we've been working towards our goals. We have a municipal goal of, de of um, carbon neutrality for all municipal operations by 2030. We have a citywide goal of 2050. Um, so, and we've been working towards that, but we haven't <coughs> had a, a really great way of sort of letting the community know where we are in this process. So this department will, I think, help with that communication, but it also will help us kind of, as I said, my, my goal is that everything that we do is viewed through this lens, so it will help us really push that. Well, it's very exciting. Congratulations. Thank it's you. so smart. I think Thank it's Phi Beta Kappa. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, this is the time where we remind everyone that this broadcast comes to you for free. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Madam Mayor. We really appreciate it. This has been Mayor's Monday with Northampton Mayor Gina Leachera. For those of us who will be here, for those of you who will be here and are with us at the 9 o'clock hour, we will be right back with more Talk the Talk. And for those listening at 5, thank you so much for being with us, and we'll see you back here again tomorrow. Madam Mayor Gina Leachera, thank you so much for your time with us every month. We really are in your debt. Thank you. Great to be with you. Bye. Northampton Neighbors is free of charge and open to all with a range of social and volunteer opportunities as well as services and support for members 55 and older in the city of Northampton. Need help? Want to help? Join us as a member, a volunteer, or donor. Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place. We're about engaging in place, this place. Find us online at northamptonneighbors.org or call us at 413-341-0160. Dear Massachusetts, marijuana is now legal for adult use. Keep your kids and pets safe by keeping all cannabis products in child-resistant packaging. Store your cannabis in a lockbox out of sight and out of reach from your children and teach them that cannabis and alcohol are for adults only Live and that prescription medications are for only Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. Northampton Radio Group Station. It's 10 o'clock. This is CBS News on the Hour, your home for original reporting. I'm Deborah Rodriguez. The death toll is rising quickly after a massive earthquake near the Turkish-Syrian border this morning. More than 2,300 have been killed. Mohammed al-Shamar felt tremors more than 180 miles away in Beirut. I was writing something and then just all of a sudden the entire building started shaking. Correspondent Imtiaz Tayab. Some people, still trapped under the rubble, are posting videos of themselves on social media begging for help. The early morning 7.8 magnitude earthquake struck as most people slept. Since then, there have been dozens of aftershocks, the most recent and strongest measuring 7.5. Secretary of State Blinken says U.S.-supported humanitarian organizations in Turkey and Syria are already responding. Communities in eastern Ohio are under mandatory evacuation orders. Officials are worried the toxic chemicals aboard a train that derailed Friday will explode. East Palestine Fire Chief Keith Drabik. This catastrophic failure will, if it occurs, it will produce hydrogen chloride and phosgene gas into the atmosphere. We need you to leave. Now. He says projectiles could hit a mile away. Beijing is once again criticizing the U.S. for shooting down a suspected spy balloon. 
Correspondent Nancy Cordes is in Washington. The Chinese accused the U.S. of an indiscriminate use of force, even as some of the president's critics argue he wasn't forceful enough. Beijing is urging Washington to show restraint as the military searches the water off South Carolina for remnants of the balloon. Inflation's caught up with most things, but car insurance had been spared until now. Bank rates Kate Deventer has analyzed the numbers. Between 2022 and 2023, we saw just under a 14 percent increase so it was pretty significant history made at the grammys on cbs it's renaissance beyonce big night for beyonce who now holds the record for most grammy wins ever she held back tears while accepting best dance album for renaissance i'd like to thank the queer community for your love and for inventing the genre lizzo snagged record of the year i wanted to make the world a better place, so I had to be that change to make the world a better place. Best new artist went to jazz singer Samira Joy, and Harry Styles wins album of the year for Harry's House. This doesn't happen to people like me very often, and this is so, so nice. Thank you very, very much. Monica Ricks, CBS News. Disappointment for a top American on the opening day of the World Skiing Championships. Michaela Schifrin was close to beating Italy's Federica Brignone when she skied out after the Super G. It's Schifrin's first major event since she failed to medal at last year's Beijing Olympics. Dow down 151. This is CBS News. You want to go someplace new? Yeah, you do. Just follow me. I'll lead the way. Welcome to CBS Morning. See something new. Oh, my God. That was a good moment. Learn something new. This is my first virtual reality interview. Meet someone new, like me. Nate B in the house. What, what? There's always something new under the sun. I came to shine because you guys are shining this morning. <laughs> CBS Mornings, weekdays on CBS I'm Nora O'Donnell in the nation's capital. The CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell, bringing understanding. Mr. President, there's a lot to talk about. A lot to talk about. With facts first. Is this a national emergency? Unbiased reporting. Do you think she was afraid to report what happened in Afghanistan? Yes, ma'am. You put your life on the line. Why do you do it? I just love being out there. Making sense of our world. Do you think there's something about the pandemic that unites us all? The CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell, weeknight. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Mountain Road on Route 141 was closed Saturday after a single car accident. According to East Hampton Police Department, a car crashed into a utility pole near the 300 block of the road and downed wires caused the road closure. East Hampton Police say the road was opened back up Sunday morning. Over the weekend, planes from Barnes Air National Guard Base in Westfield assisted in shooting down a surveillance balloon, supposedly from China. The balloon had passed over some sensitive military air bases as it swept across the country. And on Saturday, President Biden ordered two F-15 fighter jets from Westfield to shoot the balloon out of the sky, just off the coast of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. The Chinese government has insisted the balloon was civilian-owned and not related to any government surveillance. A collaboration of social service agencies from the greater Springfield area will be hosting a Know Your Rights workshop tonight. It's for renters curious about their rights to clean, safe, and secure living situations. The newly formed Tenants Union of Western Mass is partnering with Unlice de Familias, Neighbor to Neighbor, and Nuovo Camino to host the workshop, where lawyers from Community Legal Aid and Mass Fair Housing will offer advice and answer questions. The workshop will take place at 6 p.m. at the Unlice de Familias headquarters at 299 Main Street in Holyoke.
And Sunday morning, the Burleson Fire Department responded to a reported vehicle fire that was threatening a structure at 915 Brattleboro Road in Burleson. When units arrived on scene, they found two vehicles on fire within feet of the residence. Guilford Fire provided assistance with the tanker and crews were able to extinguish the fire, limiting damage to the building. For today, look for a mixture of sunshine and clouds. It'll be breezy and mild. Highs 44 to 48. Tonight, mostly clear. Overnight lows 18 to 24. And the outlook for Tuesday, sun in the morning. Clouds moving in during the afternoon. Highs in the lower 40s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And this is Buzz Eisenberg. Welcome to the show. And I'm Bill Newman. And we are here. This is one of my... Just favorite parts of the month. It's First Monday. Uh, it's called First Monday because the Supreme Court of the United States begins every session in the first Monday in October, and we have a constitutional scholar par excellence in Professor Emeritus of Bruce Miller. Hello, Bruce. Hey, Buzz. Hey, Bill. So la- this is um, our first Monday for this February. Uh, last week, in our first week of this Talk to Talk show, we had uh, the pleasure of having Congressman uh, Jimmy McGovern talk about the debt ceiling, among other things. And then we had the extraordinary economist Rick Wolf talking about the debt ceiling. And so we'd like to turn to our constitutional scholar, Bruce Miller, talk about the debt ceiling. Sure, sure. I'd love to talk about the debt ceiling. Uh, and the first thing I'd like to say about the debt ceiling is that from a constitutional point of view, The debt ceiling statute, the one that Congress passed back in 1917 that set all this up, is an unconstitutional law and ought not to be enforced. President Biden ought to ignore it. And he ought to tell uh, Speaker McCarthy as soon as possible that that's what he's planning to do. Now, why do I say that it's uh, uh, unconstitutional? Well, because of Section 4 of the 14th Amendment. And Section 4 of the 14th Amendment, which dates to 1866, uh, says that the validity of the public debt of the United States shall not be questioned. Uh, And when Congress passed a statute that limited uh, uh, the ability of the United States to pay its debts, um, it not only questioned the validity of the public debt. It repudiated the public debt. And so that that statute really ought not to be followed. Now, to be sure, President Biden is in a position here where Congress has given him conflicting instructions. On the one hand, there's this debt ceiling. uh, But the reason that the debt ceiling is from time to time exceeded is that Congress has also, as we know, Uh, authorized uh, expenditures of of money, uh, chiefly for entitlement programs like Social Security and Medicare, also for defense, those are the big ones, uh, that periodically those obligations cause the United States' obligations to go over the debt ceiling. And I just have to stick in and sort of to punctuate your sentence, because there aren't enough taxes, revenue, to support those expenditures. Well, that's right, uh, because there are not enough taxes being collected to support those expenditures. Well, back up one second. Back up one second, Bruce. Sure. And we should know we are talking with constitutional law professor emeritus from Western New England University School of Law, Bruce Miller. Bruce, the debt ceiling statute, a law which says here is the limit of 
borrowing for the United States. You said that has been in effect since 1917? Yes, it's been in effect since 1917. And no one's ever challenged it? No one has ever challenged it. We had a close call with respect to a challenge uh, back during the Clinton administration, which was the first time that we saw Congress engage in the kind of brinkmanship they're engaging in now. Uh, Newt Gingrich, uh, whom we all recall, uh, threatened uh, to uh, uh, forbid the, uh, the government from going over the dead ceiling. Bill Clinton said... I will ignore it. They did eventually reach a deal. Okay, so they eventually reached a deal. That Congress and the executive branch have always reached a deal. But there's this theory that you and others are espousing that says a constitutional amendment passed after the Civil War mm-hmm. says that the statute, which has been in effect for 105 years, is unconstitutional. It seems like a... Some people are going to say, really, how is that possible? So just tell us. Bruce Miller, before you answer that question, I'm just going to read the text of it. Sure. From Section 4 of the 1868 14th Amendment. The validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law, including debts incurred for payments of pensions and bounties for services in suppressing insurrection or rebellion shall not be questioned. That's exactly the language right. you're That's relying on. That's the full language that I am that I am relying on, and as as you can see from that full quotation of the entire section, this was right after the Civil War, and the Reconstruction uh, Congress, the, the Radical Republican Congress of its time, radical in a very different sense, feared. Uh, that the Democrats would take control of the Congress in 1868 and that they would be dominated by restored uh, Southern uh, former slaveholders and that the first thing they would do is repudiate the debts that the United States undertook to fight the Civil War. And the purpose of uh, this part of the 14th Amendment, this is why it's planted in the 14th Amendment, uh, as part of the uh, post-Civil War amendments, was to prevent that from happening. Context very, very similar, although the party alignments are uh, uh, reversed. Now, to, bi- to Bill's question, uh, you, the reason I think why it's never been challenged is that um, a ceiling itself, long out into the future, which, uh, w- if it's not threatened to be surpassed, uh, does not threaten the integrity of the public debts of the United States. It's only if and when. Uh, the debts owed go over the ceiling, that the threat comes. And the fact is that this kind of crisis uh, has been potentially there since 1917. It's just that until the Gingrich period, Congress routinely just extended the debt under the debt ceiling. And in the 1990s, uh, they decided to stop doing that. And we've had these periodic crises ever since. So excuse my ignorance, but... In 1917, did something happen that motivated Congress to say, aha, it's now 50, 60 years after the Civil War, let's have a debt ceiling? Well, what happened is that, uh, you know, when the United States goes to war, it fights those wars with borrowing and with debt. And we were just about to enter World War I. And that's the reason why Congress passed the debt ceiling. Congress authorized a tremendous amount of debt, uh, an unprecedented amount of debt, in order to fight uh, in World War I. 
but they wanted to cap it. And so they set a ceiling, which at that time was way ahead, way ahead of, uh, of, of what they had authorized. Okay. So that's, that's the history of how we got to this point. And between 1917 and 2023, Congress has always increased the debt ceiling because it doesn't involve expenditures. Congress has already approved the money. Both the House and the Senate have passed the budget. The, Senate, the president has already signed the bill. It is already a debt of the United States. And because it is a debt of the United States, you say that this clause in the 14th Amendment means that Congress has to pass an increase in the debt ceiling. Is that right or wrong? Well, I think Congress has a constitutional obligation to pass it, but of course there's no way to force them to carry out that obligation. No one can order Congress to pass a statute. So my argument really is that uh, the president, who is obligated to take care that all of the laws be faithfully executed, execute the supreme law, which is the Constitution, and simply not enforce the debt ceiling. Uh, so the pre you would say the president should, in essence, say that this law is unconstitutional and then let someone challenge him and bring it to the courts? What I, what I would do if I were the president uh, or advising the president is I would say, pay the debts. Pay the debts anyway and uh, see if someone challenges it. Well, someone will challenge it. Well, it's not so easy. Uh, members of Congress might try to challenge it, but it's doubtful that they have standing uh, because the Supreme Court has held that Congress and members of Congress are not injured um, in, in, uh, uh, by an alleged failure to follow law when it is a law that they uh, have created and can change. You know, maybe, maybe it's a trite analogy I'm drawing, but um, I'm very lucky. I have a spouse who takes care of our bills. And so our credit card bill comes due for what I charged last month. And I, the, the analogy would be if I said, only pay that credit card bill if you promise we're not going to spend any more money this month. That's what's going well, that's, on. That's exactly how it it's works. It's ludicrous that's and exactly unthinkable. Yeah. Yeah. So we say we and live in the post-constitutional era, I argue, all the time. And this is like proof that these Republicans are ignoring the Constitution. Well, I think they are ignoring the Constitution. The problem is that the Democrats have been ignoring the Constitution, too, because nobody uh, in public life is really making this argument. Well, for 105 years, the Congress and the president have followed this law for someone to come up uh, to the plate now, I'm sorry to mix metaphors, and say, no, 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 no. This law that has been on the books and followed religiously for over a century, it's unconstitutional. That's, that's a little hard to wrap your mind well, around. Well, let me ask you this, Attorney Bill Newman and, uh, of course, Professor Miller. If, if, do, do you think... Bill, that if the um, president did just pay the bill, do you think there would be a lawsuit? Yes. Question will be, as Professor Miller points out, who has standing? That is the legal right to bring that lawsuit. He points out maybe it's not Congress, but maybe there are taxpayers who could uh, bring the lawsuit. Someone, it's a little hard to imagine that we have this really important law, but nobody has the right to challenge. And we, challenge have, we have this amendment. What would this I, Supreme Court do oh, if such a lawsuit that's came to their death? a wonderful, wonderful question. Uh, first, I, I completely agree with Bill that a lawsuit would be filed. I'm not sure it could be successfully filed by Congress. 
I do think that the creditors of the United States, major institutional bondholders, would file a suit even if Biden paid them. Mm-hmm. And they're but suit- why you're well, getting paid? Ah, What's your? They, what, you have no damage. Well, there would you be don't have standing because you're not the damaged. Reasons that you just that you just stated all of the uncertainty about whether this payment is valid or not. I think would entitle them to seek something that we call in our trade a declaratory judgment, uh, uh, which is a decision from a court saying whether or not the action of the president is valid or not. I think the uncertainty about the validity of the payment would likely be held to give the bondholders standing. So I think we will see litigation, and I think we would see uh, somebody probably so, court reach the merits of 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 the of the constitutional question. So we're in this period of time now as we approach the brink, where we comes the day probably early in June, where the United States does not have the money to make payments to either Social Security recipients or bondholders or whatever the priorities are, and either the president makes the payment anyway, or the United States defaults. Can you imagine either of those things actually happening? I can imagine those things happening. I do think that if the president makes clear that he will ignore the ceiling, it becomes less likely because I, I think that it would increase his bargaining leverage with the, with the Congress. But the constitutionalists and the uh, other individuals who support the rights of Congress will go absolutely ballistic at this overreach by the executive branch, don't you think? Oh, they absolutely will. That's exactly what they'll claim. And listen, my, my argument is, is not some kind of silver bullet because there's every chance uh, that even though the constitutional argument is sound, nevertheless, uh, the Constitution gives to Congress the exclusive authority to appropriate money, to tax, to spend, to borrow, to pay the debts. And there is a a good chance that a court, if it reached the merits, might say, there's a constitutional impasse. Yes, the debt ceiling is unconstitutional, but only Congress can remedy it. That is, uh, I think, the strongest argument against my position, and I don't uh, dismiss it. I think it's a formidable argument. Still, under any of these scenarios, we're in trouble. And I think our trouble is less if the president announces early uh, and gets the support of uh, uh, Attorney General Garland that the debt ceiling statute's unconstitutional. As my people say, oy vey. We're going to take a break. We're going to be back with Professor Bruce Miller. We're going to talk more about this really interesting constitutional provision in the 14th Amendment that says the debt ceiling appears to be unconstitutional. We will be back with Professor Miller right after these messages. Do stay with us. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Some of the lowest income districts will actually be able to spend per student close to some of the highest districts, as it should be. You should not be 
underfunded because you happen to have been born in Holyoke or New, New Bedford or Fall River. 1-1-5-1400-1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Why do the same old thing to celebrate Valentine's Day? Kelsey Flynn here inviting you to join me, Tara Brewster, and the one and only Monty Belmonte, East Hampton Mayor Nicole LaChapelle, DA Dave Sullivan, and Zara Bodie from the Sweetback Sisters to the Big Love Little Performances Benefit for CHD's Big Brothers Big Sisters of Hampshire County. This lip sync karaoke contest has everything to woo your Valentine or make it a Galentine's Day. Buy tickets or enter to perform at runreg.com forward slash big love little performances. It's all happening on Thursday, February 9th at the Boylston Rooms in East Hampton. Be there and share the love for Big Brothers Big Sisters of Hampshire County. Check it out on Facebook. Are you organized, detail-oriented, responsible, fun-loving, and a team player? The Northampton Radio Group is looking for you. We've currently got an opening for a part-time office assistant. The job is right out front, so you have to like people. A knowledge of Microsoft Office is essential, and a sense of humor is a must. Send your resume and cover letter to Office Position, Northampton Radio Group, 15 Hampton Avenue, Northampton, Mass., 01060, or email jobs at whmp.com. Saga Communications is an equal opportunity employer. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. And it is the first Monday in February, so we're blessed here in the studio with the presence and the knowledge of Professor Bruce Miller. And we're talking about the debt ceiling and uh, the fourth, Section 4 of the 14th Amendment, which appears to say that it's unconstitutional to even have a debt ceiling law yet. For over a century, as Bill points out, we have been living with a debt ceiling Law. So, Bill, during the break, we were just talking about what happens if, in fact, we do ignore the debt ceiling. Well, I, what Professor Miller has stated is what the president should do is say, I'm not abiding by it. We're going to pay our debts. Congress, do what you want. But financial markets, be assured, we're not going to plunge or take the risk of plunging the United States into a depression over this political theater. Got it. But. My implication or the implication of something I said was, well, you could wait till the last minute to resolve this. And you said, and you we said we're talking about during the break, that's just flat out wrong. So take us yeah, back. Yeah, to that. I, Bill, the scenario you just suggested, it will will definitely happen. And it will happen uh, as we approach uh, whatever the deadline day turns out to be. Uh, the markets will react and recoil. Uh, creditors of the United States will worry. Um, uh, we will be in a certain kind of economic crisis regardless of the position that the president takes and even if my argument is a good argument. The point here is that our chances of getting out of that crisis safely are stronger if President Biden uses the constitutional argument in his negotiations. And of course, his negotiations involve an appeal to the public. Uh, and, and the president ought to be getting the word out uh, to, to his own supporters and to uh, people who, uh, who care about the United States not defaulting, uh, that we can't constitutionally default and that he isn't gonna allow it to happen. 
I think that uh, puts the onus on McCarthy uh, and, and his, uh, his, his far-right acolytes in Congress uh, to essentially put up or shut up, to, to, to explain how it is that they propose to carry the United States over the brink. And of right. course, Bill, tomorrow night is the State of the Union when there's a soapbox to make this pitch. Exactly right. Exactly right. Well, fine, except that the United States dollar is the world's currency. It's not just a matter of the United States potentially defaulting or not paying Social Security recipients or not paying bondholders or not paying its employees. The world depends on the, the dollar as its currency. Absolutely. And when that is called into question, the world economy is in potentially deep trouble. Exactly right. Um, and the fact that we are in the midst of this crisis portends that trouble no matter what. It's worse if we go ahead and default because Congress does not uh, extend the debt ceiling. It's a little better if Biden assures the world that we're going to pay. Um, uh, this, the, the world is still going to be troubled. There will be lawsuits. There will be uncertainty. But if Biden goes ahead and pays and puts the onus on his uh, opponents to try to stop him from doing that, we do better. I'm not saying that we do well. This is a bad situation, but it's, we do better. It strikes me, Professor Miller, that that might be backwards. If Biden says, I'm going to pay the debt no matter what you do, it lets McCarthy and the Republicans off the hook, and they say, okay, We'll just let the court sort it out. We're not raising the debt ceiling. That's a principle. We're for small government. We're yeah, for yeah, not yeah. raising the debt. Well, of course, well, they're they, lying. They, could, but. they can say that. It's, it, it's a matter of how, how President Biden presents it. He, he can say Congress has, has control over taxes and expenditures. They should honor their constitutional obligation to extend the debt ceiling. But if they don't, and I'm faced with this choice uh, between uh, two different statutory commands from Congress. One, pay the debts. Number two, don't pay the debts. I am going to follow the one that's constitutional, and I'm going to pay the debts. Uh, Congress should not put me in the spot where I have to make this choice, uh, but I am the chief executive, and my job is to follow the Constitution. And that's absolutely how I see it. But the other part of this equation is not being talked about enough, is the Republican demand, without specifying, that we spend less. And it just seems to me that a responsible Congress would discourse what you taught to your law students is, let's have a discussion about each and every proposed expenditure on the floor or in committee and talk about, is that a good idea? And not try to put a cap on expenditures without knowing what we're talking about spending on. Well, not to hold the country and, as Bill says, the world uh, hostage uh, in order to get these sort of unspecified cuts in order to, I guess, make a point with their base. Uh, sure, that would be the rational way for a rational legislature to address these problems. We're so far past that, though, yeah. that uh, we're, in, we're in this situation where, where, it, where it amounts uh, to somebody taking a stand and saying, uh, enough Right, and I just saw Kevin McCarthy, Bill. Um, personally? Uh, not personally. In the studio uh, here? No. Wow. <laughs> no, uh, well, he was in here, but I left. <laughs> but I just saw him uh, on, a, on a clip, and what he, what he was saying is it's just ridiculous that people keep just spending and spending and spending. In our personal lives, we don't do that. Well, in our personal lives, we say, should we buy that new car? Should we replace our dishwasher? 
you have a sort of item by item discussion about whether expenditures are a good idea. You don't have a blanket cap, ex- except you know if if you just don't have the money, then you just don't spend the money. But you don't have a blanket cap for the sake of having a blanket cap. Well, I, I think it's worth noting that what President Biden said last week to McCarthy was, "Shh, shh, it's not a secret. Tell us." Tell us what your budget is. Show us the budget. Show us what you want to cut. It's really important discussion. Show us the budget. Show us the budget. Show us the budget. And the Republicans won't show us the budget, their budget, because they don't want to show the American people what they want to cut. Well, they probably can't figure out what they want to cut because they're fighting amongst themselves over that. Uh, But they sure don't want to reveal it once they do decide. Mm. Well, this is... First Monday is always such a delight for me, and you come in with just these great ideas that, uh, frankly, I'm learning when I'm in the... You're still an educator. In my, certain moments, certain moments. <laughs> Don't ask my kids that question. <laughs> I'll stay away from that one with your kids. All right, well, thank you all for joining us and Professor Miller, and we're going to be back right after these messages. We're going to be talking, once again, what you're reading with Megan Zinn. We'll be right back after these messages. Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Mountain Road on Route 141 was closed Saturday after a single car accident. According to East Hampton Police Department, a car crashed into a utility pole near the 300 block of the road and downed wires caused the road closure. East Hampton Police say the road was opened back up Sunday morning. Over the weekend, planes from Barnes Air National Guard Base in Westfield assisted in shooting down a surveillance balloon, supposedly from China. The balloon had passed over some sensitive military air bases as it swept across the country. And on Saturday, President Biden ordered two F-15 fighter jets from Westfield to shoot the balloon out of the sky, just off the coast of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. The Chinese government has insisted the balloon was civilian-owned and not related to any government surveillance. A collaboration of social service agencies from the greater Springfield area will be hosting a Know Your Rights workshop tonight. It's for renters curious about their rights to clean, safe, and secure living situations. The newly formed Tenants Union of Western Mass is partnering with Unlice de Familias, Neighbor to Neighbor, and Nuovo Camino to host the workshop, where lawyers from Community Legal Aid and Mass Fair Housing will offer advice and answer questions. The workshop will take place at 6 p.m. at the Unlice de Familias headquarters at 299 Main Street in Holyoke. And Sunday morning, the Burdenston Fire Department responded to a reported vehicle fire that was threatening a structure at 915 Brattleboro Road in Bernardston. When units arrived on scene, they found two vehicles on fire within feet of the residents. Guilford Fire provided assistance with the tanker and crews were able to extinguish the fire, limiting damage to the building. For today, look for a mixture of sunshine and clouds. It'll be breezy and mild. Highs 44 to 48. Tonight, mostly clear. Overnight lows 18 to 24. And the outlook for Tuesday, sun in the morning. Clouds moving in during the afternoon. Highs in the lower 40s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. 
We believe in the boundless potential of young people. At Junior Achievement at Western Massachusetts, it inspires our work to prepare Western Massachusetts youth for real-world career and financial success. We offer in-school financial literacy and career exploration programs and after-school young entrepreneur initiatives. JA is committed to the future of youth throughout Western Massachusetts. To learn more about Junior Achievement or to participate as a school, volunteer, or supporter, visit jawm.org. What are the things on the menu at Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant that were on the menu when Paul and Elizabeth's opened in 1978? There's fish and chips, which is tempura-style fish and chips with an ultra-light batter. There's those enormous whole wheat rolls. There's Paul and Elizabeth's fish chowder, so rich and creamy it's kind of hard to believe it's dairy-free. There are new things on the menu all the time at Paul and Elizabeth's, side-by-side with things that we never seem to tire of, like pie. The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMP. Brought to you by Business West. The vital business news in Western Mass is in Business West. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. The Literacy Project is the place to go if you are an adult looking to improve your reading, writing, and math skills, or if you want help preparing for the high school equivalency exam and preparing for college. To find out about our free classes in Franklin and Hampshire counties, check us out online at literacyproject.org, or call us in Northampton at 413-584-6755. If you want to learn, The Literacy Project is the place for you. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. And this is Writer's Block with uh, the card-carrying member of the Literati, Megan Zinn. Hello. Hello. Are we going to play What You're Reading? We're playing What You're Reading today. Um, And my guest is Nerissa Nields. Um, And Nerissa is... Hello. Hi, Nerissa. Welcome. Um, Nerissa is a musician and a writer, as most people in the Valley know, um, and she recently completed an MFA in creative writing at Vermont College of Fine Arts, and her fiction includes a short story called Blueprint, recently published, I believe, and the YA novel Plastic Angel, and she's the director of Writing It Up in the Garden Workshops and Retreats in Northampton, Writing and, and mus- Musician Retreats. Uh, and she's currently working working on a trilogy of novels about a family band and on the 21st Nields album. Congratulations on that. Wow. Which is titled Circle of Days. But most importantly for our purposes, uh, she's a very voracious reader. And that's why mm-hmm. I wanted to talk to her. Um, so to jump in um, sort of in general, what do you like to read in general, Marissa? Um, novels is what I like mm-hmm, to read. Mm-hmm. or I'm, I mean, I'm not even sure that that's necessarily true. I love to read. Yeah. And I love to read poetry. I love to read creative nonfiction. I love to read the New York Times. I love to read <laughs> shouts and murmurs from the New Yorker. Right, right. And pretty much everything that's in the New Yorker. And um, yeah, I, I, but I do read mostly novels. Okay, today. yeah. Yeah, what, do you, what are you reading right right now? Right now, I am reading two books by Brian Doyle. One of them is a collection of his flash essays called One Long River of Dreams. Mm -hmm. No, sorry, Mm -hmm. One Long River of Mm Songs, 
which is fantastic. It's just such a beautiful book. I don't want it to be over. And I'm also reading his novel, Mink River. Okay. And uh, and I'm reading my friend Don McKinnon's uh, cozy mystery called Mr. Mustachio is Falsely Accused. Oh, that's a great title. So, oh, that's a great title. I'm not it is a great title. She has a whole series and she just... She, like fantastic. she's amazing she writes a book like every month practically. that's fantastic tell me about i'm not very familiar with brian doyle's work tell me about it in general well you know it's one of those things megan where so many people told me about brian mm -hmm. doyle mm -hmm. and i ignored them and i ignored them <laughs> and i ignored them and then my aunt gave us uh one of his books for christmas and they actually, they, they took it, you know, we unwrapped the present and then they grabbed it from us and they said, we just have to read you this. And they read us this little flash essay that yeah. was so funny. I was falling down. He is a, he, he's actually dead. He died oh. of brain cancer oh, in uh, 2017, mm -hmm. really tragically at the age of like 62. He is a Catholic uh, essayist. And he was the editor for many, many years of the Portland, um, the Portland Alumni Magazine, like okay. Portland State Alumni Magazine, okay. but he turned it into a literary <laughs> Lovely. And uh, yeah, and he just writes all these things that he's so funny. And it, it, it's been the answer to the question that I've been asking for like three or four years, how does a person write about faith? without coming across as preachy interesting because that's something i want to do and i find it really difficult and i actually went to grad school to find out the answer to that question and nobody could answer it and, and but he, so, he's doing it well you find he's doing it for me interesting. you know and it always works out that way mm -hmm, like the mm -hmm. answers come when you know what is it when the student is ready the teacher appears right that's very true it's interesting um you know how much i read that there's the the amount the number of authors out there that i'm not familiar with that you think you know everybody and i'm um that that's a whole new area for me i'm going to check them out um what what's the most memorable book book or books that you've read in the past year or so well i lined them up because <laughs> i i so when I went to grad school, I just started a practice of reading mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. a book a week. Yeah. Oh, and um, luxury. So it's been like overload of novels. And I'm always massively in love with the book that I'm reading mm -hmm. in the present moment. And whether I really end up loving it, sort of, I can't tell until later on. Mm, but yeah. the mm. most recent books that I've read that I have just loved are... Uh, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin, okay. which just came out, uh, like I think in the fall. It's a novel about these two friends who who meet when they're kids in the early 80s, mm -hmm. and they bond over playing video games, and they end up making video games together and okay. becoming very famous. Oh, cool. Um, and it's, but it's really a story. It's like a love story about friendship. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, a, yeah. It's interesting because I know the books that you've been writing for a long time are about people who become famous over time and the friendships and relationships that grow and change. So it's not surprising that that's a book that, that appealed to you. Well, my sister Katrina told me she gave it to me for Christmas. Mm, she okay. Like, you have to read the book. You have to read. So, yeah, it is, it is right in my, 
passion spot, like how do creative people get along with each other? That's sort of the theme of my book. Yeah. And so similarly, <laughs> I was given this mm -hmm. for Christmas, Surrender by Bono, his, his new autobiography, which is just I wonderful. I bet. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So that's all about creativity mm -hmm. and longevity of mm -hmm. a band. I mean, U2 has been around for 40 years with their original formation. And he's also been, Bono's been married to his wife right. for 40 years. Right. They have or been married. with his wife yeah. for 40 years. Does he talk about and then faith I, too? I mean, on that question of how do you write about faith, isn't he, my understanding, I don't know much about Bono, but my understanding is he is a person of faith. And um, I don't know if you're deep into it enough to know how he writes about that. You know, I finished this book. It's he's definitely deep in enough. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've I finished. Yeah, yeah I okay. finished the book, and mm -hmm. he does illuminate that question for me also. Um, yeah, and and they're really interesting. You know, and I've somehow I've been consuming a lot of Irish literature mm -hmm. and culture mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. <laughs> music and TV shows. Bad ah, Dairy Girls. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, oh, that wonderful movie. Uh, the banshees of yes. in the current. Uh, so I feel Oscar like nominee. I've been sort of, and and I reread Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man oh. uh, for the umpteenth time mm -hmm. this year too. So I've been thinking a lot about Ireland, and um, oh, and of course I watched the Dairy Girls. Sorry, we're talking about TV now and not books, but but the, it was interesting to read Bono's book and to learn that they were Protestants mostly. Oh, interesting, right. yeah who lived in Dublin. So mm -hmm. that was unusual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they went to this sort of Protestant English Welsh school that was, you know, kind of progressive. And that's where the four band members met. Oh, interesting. So my, my guest is Nerissa Neils and we're talking what you're reading. We're talking about books. Um, Can I ask you both yeah, a question? This is Buzz. Uh, hi, hi, Nerissa. So my spouse is one of those people on our night table, on her night table, mm -hmm. is probably three or four books all the time. Mm -hmm. That she can be reading three or four different books at one time. And I'm one of those only one at a time. Yeah. I get too confused, yeah. guys. Yeah. How do you do that? What? Why juggle do you a bunch do it? Of books? And how do you do it? Yeah, Nerissa, do you do you? You obviously juggle uh, reading several books at one time. Um, does it? Is it challenging to kind of keep it them all straight or keep focus on them? Um. Well, I will say this, usually I'm only reading one book at mm -hmm, a time. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm, this is unusual for me. Ah, okay. So, so I'll just say that, I'll just say that. Usually yeah, yeah. I am like in a book, I'm in the world, mm -hmm, I'm consuming mm -hmm. it. That uh, makes me so relieved. How about yeah. you, Megan? I'm, I read multiple books at once, um, and I like being able to kind of switch between them, particularly if they're different sort of levels of weightiness or humor. I'm usually listening to I'm usually listening to an audio book at any given time, um, and then reading sometimes a more literary thing, and then I'm like reading like a romance novel on the side. And and I, I have ADHD, yeah. so maybe I just need to move between <laughs> books instead of like focusing in on one. Um, but they're usually different enough that I, I'm not getting mixed up when mm -hmm. I'm reading them or confusing yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think sometimes, I feel like sometimes a book will capture me mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. then I'm, I'm lost to the yes, world. Yes. But, and I have ADHD too. So, so right now I so feel you're like I'm, I'm sort of reining things in because I'm focusing on finishing the edits to a novel mm -hmm. and, and finishing our record. And so I want, to be a little bit free from that, like 
novel world grabbing me. How about you, Mr. Newman? Well, I I used to be with the Buzz Eisenberg camp. I Mm -hmm. could only read one Mm -hmm. book at a time. I thought it was way too confusing to do anything else. But because of my preparation necessary Mm -hmm. for the authors on this show, I sometimes have to do a couple of books at a time. And I see it as, you know, I have relationships with a number of different people. I have go, different exactly. friends. So we can we can yeah. do this. I, I have a relationship with this book, and then I have a relationship with that book, mm-hmm. and I can have both at the same time. Yeah, that is a very good point. You can have conversations with a bunch of different people in a day and, and keep them track, keep it, you know, keep them on track and keep track of who they are. Yeah, I, I learned uh, 25 years ago about this condition called hypoproplexia. It's the inability to stay on one subject for, uh, for wow. any length of time and... I do not suffer from that. I have trouble <laughs> breaking out of a subject. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of breaking, we're going to take a break. We are talking what you're playing, Megan Zinn and Marissa <laughs> Neal's. No, what you're reading is what we're doing. What you're reading. We're going to be right back after these messages. Before he's gone. Lisa says, don't cry, I'll bring you flowers when you die. I'll go to school in only black or maybe in a gunny sack. I'll get your friends to stand around and dance upon buried ground on our front lawn. But don't you... You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Tag, you're it. Tom Hartman, weekdays at noon. Tom Hartman Program, your home for the resistance, commentary, conversation, and common cause. Join me, Tom Hartman, every weekday from noon to 3, right here on WHMP. 1015, 1400, and 1240, WHMP. Cheddar. It's not just a cheese. It's a place. It all started in the 12th century, in the caves of the English village of Cheddar. In the caves, the temperature and humidity made it the perfect place to mature a cheese. Imagine having to go spelunking for Cheddar. Now, it's easier. They still make Cheddar in Cheddar, but now they make it in Scotland, Ireland, California, Oregon, and Cummington. If you like Cheddar, you better get a Cheddar at State Street in Northampton or Cooper's Corner in Florence. So much easier than cave digging. Oh, they've got Cheddar from jolly old England, but they have natural Cheddar with Porter from Ireland. They've got cloth-bound Cheddar from Grace Hill in Cummington and award-winning organic Cheddar from Robinson Farm in Hardwick. Where better to get a Cheddar made right here in Western Mass than right here in Western Mass at State Street in Cooper's, your Cheddar headquarters. But enough with the cheesy puns. You deserve cheddar than that. Don't go all the way to Cheddar, England to get a cheddar. Get your cheddar at State Street in Northampton and Cooper's in Florence. Getting your credit score and credit report free is another great reason to bank at Greenfield Savings Bank. With the GSP Credit Center, you can monitor your credit score and credit report as often as you like, set up alerts, and find tips on how to improve your credit score. Getting your credit score and credit report free is another great reason to bank at Greenfield Savings Bank. With the GSP Credit Center, you can monitor your credit score and credit report as often as you like, set up alerts, and find tips on how to improve your credit score. Monitoring your credit score and report is an important tool in protecting your finances and can help you identify errors and prevent fraud. Our GSB Credit Center is just one of the great benefits that comes free with both our free online banking and our free mobile app. And with the GSB mobile app, you can check your score and access your credit report free anytime and from anywhere using your mobile device. And checking your credit report at the GSB Credit Center will not affect your credit score. Sign up today at any of our offices or online. Greenfield Savings Bank. Greenfieldsavings.com. Member FDIC. Member DIF. Mobile carrier charges may apply. 
The Northampton Community Music Center provides quality, accessible music education to more than a thousand members of the greater Northampton community. Hi, this is Jason Trotta, Executive Director of the Northampton Community Music Center. Our scholarship fund helps those with limited means access affordable music instruction and has never turned away a qualifying applicant in its 33 years of existence. To find out how you can help, please visit our website at ncmc.net. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. And we are playing What You're Reading with Megan Zinn for our Writer's Block segment and Nerissa Neal's Megan. Nerissa, so have you, this might be a huge question, but do you have a sense of how what you read affects you as a writer? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Enormously, I assume. Enormously and um, in good ways and bad ways. Mm -hmm. I mean, the good thing about, like, I really firmly believe that you can't really write in, if you don't love to read yeah. or if, and if you're not actively reading in in a kind of um, paying attention kind of way, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. paying attention to, to the elements of the craft of writing, you know, like right. where, where does the author use description? Mm-hmm, where does the mm-hmm. author use action and dialogue and backstory and interiority and um, all of the all of the sort of the colors in a writer's toolbox, but also, um, but the bad thing about it is, I I am heavily influenced, mm-hmm. or I was yeah. often by what other writers do, and in some ways that's a good thing, and I'm kind of a magpie artistically mm-hmm. by nature yeah. anyway, but you know I would have an idea for the way my story should go and then I would read somebody else and be like oh look what they did <laughs> right it's dangerous it's dangerous rewrite the whole book based on somebody else's idea and um it's it's a I think it's a long road for any artist to figure out their own voice mm-hmm. their own um their own mission their you know like what 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 am I what am I supposed to be doing here like what kind of a book am I writing yeah yeah and Yes, we learn from other artists, but at the end of the day, we we do have to just write write our own book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, of course. So, yeah. So I, I hope that answers. Yes, it does. So, Narissa, this is Bill Newman. I have a question that's related that I've been wanting to ask you since you began your conversation with Megan Zinn, and it's how what you're reading affects you as a musician and as a composer. Could you speak to that? Yes, I mean that there there are there are ancient questions. I mean, ancient like as of the '90s. Like, for example, Katrina and I read Margaret Atwood's *Cat's Eye* mm-hmm. in 1993 or '94, and both of us loved it. Just loved that book. Uh, and for those who don't know, it's. It's about uh, a very different kind of friendship from the tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow friendship. Um, it's about two women who grow up and they were best friends and then they have a fight and they break up basically. And what both Katrina and I got out of it was how a friendship breakup can be in some ways even more devastating oh, yeah. than yeah. a romantic break- breakup. Mm-hmm. And we were making our record uh, that turned out to be Gotta Get Over Greta, mm-hmm. but we didn't have that title or that song. We were playing in the wetlands and downstairs in the women's room, in, written on the toilet stall was 
the phrase got to get over Greta. She came running up. <laughs> we were loading out of the club and she said, Narissa, I, you have to write a song called got to get over Greta. And it's got to be like a cat's eye kind of song. And mm-hmm. I think you should name the whole record. Got to get over Greta. And I was like, and I had the idea immediately the next morning I, I wrote that song. That's brilliant. Um, I love that. And, yeah. and your 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 music, your your composing is very your well, your lyrics are very literary. I mean, you're you're very much telling stories in your songs, like a song like "Gotta Get Over Greta." So that is that is not surprising. Um, that that was a, that kind of influence. Um, well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so so um, you know, talking about friends and friends when they were a little made me think about um, what did you read as, a, as when you were young. I was actually a pretty timid reader. Mm. I mean, I love to read, but I like to read the same book over and over <laughs> again. So I read the Little House books by Laura mm-hmm. Ingalls Wilder, mm-hmm. like, serially. Oh, like, yeah. I would read through the whole series, and then i go back to the beginning and read it all again. I would have loved Harry Potter if that mm-hmm. had been around. Mm-hmm. And I do love Harry Potter, I will say. Um, I read Little Women over and over. Oh, and then I would read... So this is sort of a trend, and this is maybe why I'm reading Brian Doyle's mm-hmm. flash essays and his novel at the same time, and I'm like scouring the internet for interviews and videos of him. I would get obsessed with an author. So, for example, mm-hmm, yeah. after I read the Little Women books, I read biographies about Louisa May Alcott, and then I read about her father, Bronson Alcott, and the Transcendentalist. Mm-hmm. So I was that kind of yeah. like... I would get curious. Yeah. Do you and still I would just do you follow still, my curiosity? It sounds like you still do that. Yes. To an absolutely. extent. That's fantastic. I did want to ask a teacher about that because my kids were the same. They would read the same books over and over and I was worried about it. and they're like, No, as long as they're reading, it's fine. It's great. That's what kids do. They read the same the same ones. My kids were reading the Rick Reardon books over and over and still do. They're adults and they still read it uh-huh. on occasion, which I love. Um, it was comforting to me, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there. I think that is certainly true. Um, as your as your reading habits changed over your adult life, the the type of thing you like to read or how you read, probably affected by parenting. Well, definitely. I mean, I read novels all throughout the '90s, um, and up until I got pregnant. And then in the in the early aughts, I would say for the whole decade mm-hmm. of. 2000 to 2010, I was reading nonfiction. Oh. Uh, something about having mm-hmm. kids and that, ah. just that time of life, I felt like I needed guidance and I read a ton of nonfiction. And um, then, then in 2012, I read Let the Great World Spin and I fell in love again with novels. Fiction, that was yeah. like a huge book for me. And as a matter of fact, you have a question here about it. Who's a book character that you love ah, and why? Yes. Corrigan, mm-hmm. oh my God, Corrigan and Let the Great World Spin. I love him. I love him. He feels real to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Who's the author of Let the Great so, World Spin? That's Colin McCann, ah, one okay. of my favorite authors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. That's lovely. Um, so what are you looking forward to reading that you haven't gotten to yet or that's coming out soon or that just came out? Uh, so glad you asked. Uh-huh. Well, my friend Usman Power Green's mm-hmm. novel that came out in the fall and my friend Catherine Newman's book, We All Want Impossible ah, Things. Yes. I, so those two are both on my bookshelf, along with a bunch of stuff. Of I mean, course. there's a lot of stuff on my bookshelf. But, um, and, you know, I've never read The Grapes of Wrath. Oh, interesting. So, How did you get out of high school without reading The Grapes of Wrath? 
I don't know. And I read <laughs> Woody Guthrie's Bound for Glory. Yeah. And I remember somebody saying to me, well, if you like that, you should read The Grapes of Wrath. I read other Steinbeck. I just didn't read that. So, and I just finally read Moby Dick mm-hmm. this fall. Loved Moby Dick. Um, and I like to mix up my repertoire with some quote unquote classics. Yeah. yeah. I'm so embarrassed to admit this on the air, but I read both Grapes of Wrath and Moby Dick in the classic comics. Excellent. It reading is reading. terrific. That's reading is reading, Buzz. Reading reading. <laughs> um, yeah, The Grapes of Wrath is, um, I actually don't think I've read it since high school, but I remember it being really gripping. Like a, um, There's some you know classics that are, are hard to read and some that you just fly through. That's one of them. Grapes of Wrath and Of Mice and Men, two of the books that influenced my life. Oh, interesting. Whoa. Yes. Yeah. Mice and men, in, yes. Yeah, I can see that, justice. Um, yes. Um, well, uh, we're finishing up. Um, our, um, just the, um, oh, you answered one of the questions I was going to ask you, my, your uh, favorite book character. Um, but um, just to finish up, is there, um, are there, what are the books that you currently reread? Is there any one or two that you can sh- jump in <laughs> for in the last 30 seconds we have? Okay. I, uh, Jennifer Egan, Visit ah. from the Goon Squad, mm-hmm. love that book. But the other book that I'm rereading um, is this crazy out-of-print book called The Mother Tongue, which is about Old English and how, if you study Old English, you can understand basically oh, all wonderful. the European languages yeah. outside of Hungarian. That's fantastic. We, we that. have to break, at Old English, we have to break <laughs> from the guy who read the classic comic <laughs> version of that which impacted on Bill's life so profoundly. We have been talking with Megan Zinn, talking what you're reading with Narissa Neal. Thank you both so much. Tomorrow Thank we're you, gonna, Narissa. Well, our pleasure. And tomorrow we're gonna be back, talk to talk. John Pucci on Crime and Punishment and On the Mark with Senator Paul Mark. We'll talk with you tomorrow. Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. Northampton Radio Group Station. It's 11 o'clock.